0: Good morning. It's good to see you and good to worship with you this morning. Glad that you're here. We have made it to Ephesians chapter 2. It took us a few weeks, but we made it. So if you want to be turning there in your Bible or on your device, we'll have it on the screen. It's also in the notes in the bulletin as well, if that's helpful to you. Um, This is a rich, rich chapter. I love the whole book. I'm sure that's part of the reason why we're in it, since I did pick it. But um, but Ephesians 2, there's just great stuff for us to see this morning. So we're going to dive right in here in just a minute. I'm going to pray for us, and we're going to ask God that more than us just understanding intellectually what these words mean, as I read them and you read along with me, that on a deep spiritual level, that God would be opening up our hearts and our minds uh, to the truth that he's teaching us to the things that he's revealing and that the first the foremost the foundation the deepest bottom bedrock truth of all is that we would see more of who God is and so as I read be listening with that in mind that question of what does this teach us about God what do we see about who God is again the nature and, and depth of himself and then what do we see about how God has acted and worked and made himself known and what he's done for his people and his world, because uh, it's, it's packed into this chapter. Um, and so we'll spend some time with you sharing the things that the Spirit is showing you this morning, um, and then I may point out a few things that have stood out to me this week because I've been reading through it. But let's do that together right now. Let's pray together. Father we thank you for who you are for your faithfulness for your promises for the fact that you always do exactly what you say And because of who you are, Father, all of our hope is in you. You are the only hope that we have right now during this time. You are the only hope that we have in our lives. You're the only hope for this entire world. So I ask, Father, that right now, because of your promises, because of the work that you have already done in Jesus and the things that you are promising to do in your church, I ask that you will teach us from your Word by your Spirit as only you can, that you will pour out your Spirit and you will do a powerful spiritual work in us and then through us in the world, that you will keep building us up as your church, your body, your family, as followers of Jesus, disciples of Jesus who are making disciples so that you are praised and worshipped and loved and trusted the way that you deserve. Help us to see more of who you are right now and help us to be changed as we encounter you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. All right, Ephesians 2. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by what's called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace, In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. All right. What's that teach us about God? I think they used
1: the word hostility in verse 14 and 16. Mm hmm.
0: And so, yeah, so John is zeroing on this word hostility here. Um, I'll just, I'll, just I'm, I'll jump right in, because I had one, like, main illustration I had drawn on here. And you hit both of them in these two verses. So I'll do this, and then you are going to keep going. But verse 14 here, and, and notice the contrast. There's this hostility, and up here, in, starting in verse 11, you know, 1 through 10 is this introduction to the, the grace that God has given, the way that God has saved us and what he's done. And then in verse 11, you get this specific application that Paul turns his attention to. He's like, after I've just described the gospel for you in 1 through 10, therefore, like here's one of the billion applications and outworkings of the gospel in your life when God saves you in this way. Remember that at one time you Gentiles, and so Gentile is just a non-Jew. You know, in the Old Testament, the Jews are the people that God sets apart when he chooses Abraham, and then Abraham has Isaac, you know, the, the son of promise, the, the, the song that we just sang, that we, you know, the God of covenant, God of Abraham, that, that is reaching back, to, all the way back to Genesis 12 there and Abraham's descendants, then Isaac. Isaac has Jacob and Esau, and even though Jacob's the younger and a scoundrel and a thief and a liar and deceitful, God chooses Jacob instead of Esau and keeps the promises. And then Jacob has 12 sons. Those 12 sons become the 12 tribes of Israel. God takes this nation out of Egypt when they're slaves and smaller than everybody else and stubborn and hard-hearted. I just read Deuteronomy this week, by the way, in like my own personal Bible reading, so it's like fresh on my mind of, of Moses. Moses has been with them 40 years in the desert. He's about to die and it's not one of those things where it's like oh this is a fond farewell like if you want to read Deuteronomy and just let yourself actually laugh about Moses parting words to these people after he spent 40 years, and he's like, it's been miserable to be with you. It has been awful to lead you. You have been disobedient and rebellious and stubborn every step. Of- Let me remind you of all the times, and he lists them for the whole book. And he's like, why would I remind you of this? Because God is humbling you, God is teaching you how awful you are, and God doesn't ever want you to think that he chose you because you were better or stronger or bigger or more righteous than everybody else because you weren't. He's like, you were the weakest, you were the smallest, you were slaves, and you're stubborn and rebellious the whole way. God chose you because of God, not because of you. And that's really, really relevant to where we already are in Ephesians. But, but God does choose this one people, pulls them out of a nation, makes a new nation out of them, gives them land, and they become the people who receive God's word in the Old Testament. The, the, the Bible comes to us through what Paul later calls in this chapter the prophets in the Old Testament, the apostles in the New Testament, but it's the Jews, the descendants of Abraham, that have this really special place, chosen by God, established by God, as, as his people who receive his word. And so they become very distinct from the rest of the world, the non-Jews. And so Paul's got this category here. He's like, okay, so we've got the Jews over here, and then we've got the Gentiles, which is just the non-Jews, which for most of us sitting here this morning, you know, we're probably not Jewish. Like, some of you may have Jewish descent, whether we're talking, you know, nationally, culturally, racially, or religiously. Um, but And that's the thing about being a Jew, is over time, you've got the cultural Jews, the national, the people that grow up there, but then you also have the people that really abide by and follow the religion, and it kind of branches out. But you've got these two groups of people, and they're really, really, really far apart, The Jews are very different from the non-Jews because of the way God established them. They have this law from God in the Old Testament. They follow all these rules that are just like these dietary rules and and the Sabbath and just all these things that distinguish them from everybody else. And over time, their identity gets so wrapped up in, hey, here's the things we do that make us different, the things that we do that make us special. We're better than everybody else. (laughs) We're God's people and nobody else is. God's chosen us, and he hadn't chosen anybody else. Now, of course, that was never what God said. Like, you go back and you read Genesis 12. As soon as God calls Abraham, before there's even a country, it's like, I'll bless you, and through you I'll bless all peoples on earth. And you read the Jewish prophets. They're always talking about that God's going to send his Messiah to be a light to the Gentiles, a light to the nations. It was always this work of God that he was using them to reveal himself to the whole world. But they totally missed that. And so you get this, and I was trying to think of a way to draw it, like if you could think of like these polar opposite people, like the Jews look like that, you know, and the Gentiles look like this, and they're like almost like mirror opposites of each other. There's just no reconciliation between them, and then they're all just messed up and junky and broken and jagged on both sides. And the reason I was thinking about it is because whether you want to take it culturally, they're totally different from one another. Like nationally, totally different from one another. Religiously, totally different from one. The Jews become this strict monotheistic. We only believe in one God. And the Gentiles are pagan, and when they, when they worship any gods, it's usually like all kinds of gods, and very polytheistic, and just complete opposite in their religion, in their culture, in their background, in their history. And so he says, okay, so you Gentiles who are on this side, you know, you, you don't have the mark of the Jews that, that set them apart as God's people. You're uncircumcised. The Jews are really proud of this fact that they're marked out to be God's people. But then Paul, you already hear him scoffing. He's like, look, that's made in the flesh by hands. <laughs> like, so what? So some human beings did something with their hands and marked you externally with an appearance. Let me tell you something. It doesn't have anything to do with your relationship with God, Ultimately. I mean, that's the tone he's got right there. But he's like, Remember, Gentiles, you were. The problem isn't that you were different from the Jews. The problem is you were separated from Christ. You were, you were cut off from Jesus. And you were alienated from Israel, the real people of God, not just as national Jews, but the ones who had his covenant and promises. That God did give these covenants to the Jews, these promises to the Jews, and you're disconnected from those right now. Like, you don't have the covenant promises of God. And so you have no hope. Because you're without God. Just all of you who are non-Jews, who are Gentiles, you have no promises from God, no hope, as long as you're without God, as long as you're separated from Christ. But, and this is actually the second time there's this huge shift with the but. We'll go back to the first one earlier. But this, this thing that God did in Jesus, he came to you. were far off. You were alienated, separated, far away from God. And God came and got hold of you and brought you near to him by the blood of Christ. Like, this is just the basic gospel right here. People who were far from God and had no hope, God went and found them and brought them near to himself and gave them hope by Jesus. For, now the word that John pointed out earlier was hostility, for he himself is our peace. And so look at the contrast here like, You've created hostility. Jesus brings peace. But specifically here in verse 14, he says he has made us both one. He's not yet talking about peace between you and God in verse 14. He's talking about peace between Jews and Gentiles. Like, humanly irreconcilable. So different that they share no common ground. And when we get down here, he says, just so you know how I'm going to draw this this way, Reconciles both to God in one body through the cross. And so he's like, Here you are. You know, there's nothing in common between the two of you. Let me pick a different color here. And by the cross, Jesus comes and connects you and makes you one people. The The Jews and the Gentiles could never have anything in common except that the cross connects them in a way that they now share everything with one another. And so this first hostility that he overcomes is the hostility between human beings who have nothing in common, and then they find out they do have something in common. That they need Jesus. And that their need for Jesus and the work of God to save them by grace, which is those first ten verses we'll back up to, unites them in a way where this one thing Like that you were dead in your trespasses and sins, and the only hope for you is that by grace God will make you alive in Jesus, this one thing is bigger than everything else that would ever define you. If you share this one thing with people, you have more in common with them than if you were to share culture and nationality and race and religion and background and experiences, that all that stuff is not as big as this one thing. But then also there's this other issue. It's not just that the humanity was split like this. It's that we were broken from God like this. Our relationship with God was split. And so he goes on and he says, so he's created one new man in place of the two. Like you had Jews and non-Jews, but now you've got one people of God, the church. And here it is again, making peace. like in contrast the hostility there that John was pointing out. But it's not just Jews and Gentiles reconciled to one another. Look at verse 16 might reconcile us to God in one body. So now this is one body right here, so let's draw it all in red so it looks like it all goes together as one big shape. So here's this one people, but there's still, you know, that, that inner part was the disconnect between the Jews and the Gentiles. But in Jesus, we're joined together. But we're still so broken and shattered and, and just so many pieces that aren't the way they need to be on the outside But then Jesus comes and doesn't just connect us to one another. But if you can imagine him just drawing every single gap, every single broken piece, he's filling it all in here on the outside. Like it's smooth and it's full. And we're not just united to one another now. But everything that's missing, he fills it in. Everything that's broken, he fixes it. Everything that's wrong, he heals it. And he creates this people who are now, around this whole outside, united to God. The people of God. Thereby killing the hostility. And so peace with one another in Jesus, but then peace with God. That all the things that we would point to that would divide us, And the things I just said, like if you really stop, they're huge. Like cultural differences are huge for dividing humanity, right? National differences are huge for dividing humanity. Racial differences are huge for dividing humanity. Religious differences are huge for dividing humanity. Religious rules and laws and traditions are huge for dividing humanity. And Jesus comes and shatters all of that. And says, I'll make you one in me, by faith in Jesus, united to Jesus, so that our goal as a church, like as a microcosm of what we're reading about right here, is that this is a place where anyone can come. There's not a single thing about you, speaking in terms of the world and human categories, that disqualifies you from coming to this place. Whatever your background is, whatever your experiences are, whatever your mistakes are, whatever your failures are, whatever your culture is, whatever your race is, whatever your nationality is, whatever your religious background and religious traditions and religious rules that you have or haven't kept, none of that disqualifies you. Because those are the people as far apart as you can imagine, as different as you can imagine, that Jesus is going and grabbing them and bringing them near to God. Like the only, the only qualification is you're far from God and dead in your sins and you need somebody to save you because you can't do it yourself. And everybody qualifies for that. And then the goal would be that this would be so central to who we are, that what Jesus has done would be so central to who we are, that it would redefine who we are. He would define us in terms of His work for us, His grace to us, and our relationship with God now, so that we share something in common that's bigger than everything else in our entire life. That that we would look at each other, and if we share faith in Jesus and we share this work of Jesus, then we can look at each other and say, you're part of God's family, and I'm part of God's family. You're part of the body of Christ, and I'm part of the body of Christ. You know, like, like, you're this pinky, and I'm this pinky. Like, we're part of the same body. We're, we're, we have so much more in common in Jesus than everything that would divide us. The other thing I want you to see, and this really hit me hard is that you think about the Jews as okay we're religious, we got the rules we got the laws, God told us what to do we've done it, we've set ourselves apart with our religion, we look better than the rest of the world, they're pagan and they're immoral and they don't know God and they don't listen to God and they don't do what God says so you got the really religious people and the really irreligious people the Jews and the Gentiles the people that obey the laws and the people that don't obey the laws the people that do what they think they're supposed to and are really proud about it and the people that don't even care and don't think about it and live however they want What did the Gentiles need? They needed Jesus to come and reconcile them to God. We read that. What did the Jews need? That he might reconcile us both to God. (laughs) These religious Jews weren't right with God because of how good they looked on the outside. They didn't need Jesus any less because they had their religion. They weren't any better off in their relationship with God because of all the laws and rules and religious traditions that they had. Ultimately, none of that could unite them to God. None of that could reconcile them to God. None of that could fix the broken nature of their hearts and the broken relationship that they had with God. Only Jesus could do that. Like, as different as they looked, they were exactly the same. Far from God, alienated from God, separated from God. Broken inside and broken in their relationship with God. And Jesus was the answer for both. And so if you sit here today and you've got this religious background and you've tried really hard to be good and do the right things, and there's always this temptation of self-reliance and, and the type of pride and self-righteousness that grows out of, hey, I've done the right things. I've done better than that. I can point to a whole lot of people who look a whole lot worse than me. You need Jesus. You desperately need Jesus to make you right with God. And the things that you're doing in your own strength and the things that you're tempted to trust about yourself will never be enough to reconcile you to God. Only Jesus will. And if you're here today, and the stuff I just said doesn't sound anything like you, that you've been as far away from God as people could imagine, you think, I've really been farther than most of these people. I've done things that they're not bad enough to think about. First of all, you're probably wrong about most people sitting here. We can come up with that stuff. It's in our hearts. We've done it. But if you think that I'm as bad as can be, I'm as far away as can be, However far off you are, that's exactly who Jesus came for. You need Jesus, and he's here for you. He's here to reach out wherever you are, however far away you are, and grab hold of you and bring you near to God by the cross, by his death, by his blood, that that all the things that you've done that will separate you from God, he says, I'll take them for you. That's his message to you. That is Jesus' message to you in the gospel. I'll take your stuff, and he puts it on himself, and he dies for it. And he carries it to the grave, but it's gone from you. And it's in the grave with him. And when he gets up out of the grave, that stuff stays dead. It's not how God sees you anymore. We'll see that some more in this passage here in a minute. But just this, this idea of like this entire work of the gospel. See this the entire work of the gospel is a work of reconciliation. It's a work of God uniting people that could never be united with one another. And it's a work of God uniting people with him who could never be united to him. Like Humanly speaking, this is impossible. This never happens. And it's everything that God's doing in the gospel. It's why, like, just as another small application, it's why we keep harping on community groups with you and relationships in your daily life, that you would be joined to other people around the Bible, around the gospel, around the Word of God, sharing life with one another, being reconciled to one another, living in relationship with one another, because this is what God's doing. This is the whole thing. Your relationship with Him and your relationship with other people is the whole thing. What else stands out to you? Uh Uh-oh, that was too big, wasn't it? Get over here and draw illustrations, then I can't get back in regular mode. Let's change this back to white. All right. Now we're cooking with gas. Carol said humanity has a death problem. And then how did you say the second part? every week lately that goes off at least once doesn't i have no idea why saves us and makes us alive with Christ so this is right from the very beginning these first three verses here if you want to read who we are apart from Jesus in our natural selves now, this is who we are. You're dead spiritually in your trespasses and sins, in your rebellion against God. It, that, that God is the source of life, and your heart has turned away from Him, primarily turned to yourself. And when you turn away from the source of life, the only thing outside of him is death. And you're spiritually dead. And you've, you've killed yourself <laughs> in multiple ways. That You follow this world instead of following God. Like the things that make sense to the world, you listen to them and you believe those things instead of believing God. The things that the world pursues, you pursue those things instead of pursuing God. The things that the world values, you value those things instead of valuing God. The things that the world sets its heart on and tells you is important, you set your heart on those things instead of setting your heart on God. That you followed the course of this world, you followed the prince of the power of the air, that there's a spiritual dynamic to this. Not, not just natural, like, hey, this is what the world does, so we do it. But that spiritually speaking, the, the, the spiritual beings that we would call angels and demons, you know, like fallen angels, that God has created, that we, we just know just a smidgen about them, because God's main story in the Bible is this is who he is and how he relates to us. Like he's telling us what we need to know for us. But we do know that these spiritual beings exist, and the, the, the leader, the, the, the head of the demons, Satan, the devil, how, you know, like all these different terms you get for him. Lucifer, that here's this natural element here in the world, here's the spiritual element, that he's still at work in those who are disobedient. Among whom we all lived in the passions of our flesh. Here's your third one. Flesh, anytime you read it in this kind of context, just think self. I didn't write that real clearly, so we'll try it again. So I live the way the world tells me to live. I live the way the devil tempts me to live. And I live the way I want to live. These are the the three forces that drive me away from God. And sometimes we spend a lot of time trying to sort through, is it this, this, or this? Listen. Listen. It all takes you to the same place, and it's not God. <laughs> and and it, when we get in a conversation like this, I've noticed that some people, they have a tendency to blame the devil for everything. Maybe a lot of it is him in your life, but the deal is, if this is strong enough for you, self, he doesn't have to do much work on you. <laughs> You're doing that work for him. Like when you love self enough that you don't love God, you don't have to be tempted to do stuff. You just choose it. And so we may blame, we may give him way too much credit for the stuff that's our fault and our problem. Now on the other side, some of us completely ignore the spiritual aspect of this. And we boil it down just to this natural, I've just got to try better, do better, blah, blah, blah. And we don't realize that we're in a spiritual battle that far exceeds our ability. And that's why we need spiritual help. It's why we need spiritual resources. It's why we need someone who's stronger than these type of spiritual beings. We need the Spirit of God himself to do what only he can for us. And so with each of those pieces, what I would say is, when you feel something pulling your heart away from God, the answer is always the same. It's always Jesus and his gospel. In one sense or another, it's always that Jesus would turn us back to God and bring us near to God. But you see these three pieces here that have created our death problem, that we're dead in our sins because we've been separated from God by the choices we've made, that we have chosen to turn away from him. And we're children of wrath now, that God as a just God looks on our sin and he sees it for exactly what it is. It is rebellion against him. It is, it is an act that deserves to be punished by death. It is an act that brings with it the penalty of death. It is what we deserve, and it is what we owe. And the wrath of God should be poured out on us because of the way that we have responded to him, disregarded him, ignored him, chosen ourselves over him, loved the world instead of him, followed the prince of the power of this air instead of him. Like, you pick all three areas. The way that we've disregarded God, we deserve God's wrath. And then here's, Carol said it here, I pointed out earlier, but... This may be, you read those three verses, this may be the best transition in the entire Bible. You're dead. You're hopeless. You're you're triple pulled away from God. The world pulling you away from God. Satan pulling you away from God. And then if that weren't bad enough, your own desires pulling you away from God. God. And you're under wrath that this all-powerful, almighty Creator God who rightly has every claim over your life who is a just and righteous judge and when He looks and something's good, He says good and when He looks and something's evil, He says evil and He always treats everything exactly the way it should be treated and He's wise enough to know exactly what should be done and He's powerful enough to bring it out. He looks at you and He sees trespasses and sins and disobedience and He knows you deserve wrath. That's where you stand and He can bring it. He can pour it out. He has the right. He has the ability. He has the power. But, but, there's more to who He is. But those three verses aren't the whole story. But that's not how he chooses to see you. But God, being rich in mercy, notice this based on our past few weeks. When this transition happens, Paul doesn't say a single, single thing about you or me. This transition doesn't happen because of us. It's because of who God is. This is the most important thing in the world. This is the most important thing in your life, who God is. This comes first. This changes everything. Everything's different. You haven't changed it all yet. (laughs) From verse 3 to verse 4. But there's a piece of him that he's showing you that changes everything. He's rich in mercy. Because of the great love with which he loved us. Why does he do this for you? Because he loves us. That's exactly what it says, isn't it? Because of him. There's love inside of him toward you, and he's chosen to set his love on you, and his own love, who he is, motivates him to do something about your dead state. He looks at you, and you deserve wrath, and his love can't bear the fact that you're going to suffer wrath. His love and His mercy motivate Him to see you in a certain way and to have compassion on you and to long to rescue you from the very wrath that you deserve because of who He is. We have to know who He is. Everything hinges on who He is. Everything changes because of who He is. And so even when we were dead in our trespasses, this is not, hey, I realized how bad off I was. So I got my act together and said, Oh God, I'm trying to do better. Will you forgive me because I'm trying to do better? No. When you were dead in your trespasses, it's like you ran off into your sin and you died in your sin. And once you're dead, what can you do about it? Nothing, right? What can dead people do? Nothing at all. You are spiritually dead in the worst place you can be. And while you were there, God comes and does the type of thing that only God can do. He took these spiritually dead people and he made them alive. He brought you back to life. Everything that you were lacking spiritually, he gives you in Jesus. All the things that you couldn't do for yourself, he does for you in Jesus. With Christ, that the power of Jesus' resurrection, he spreads it to you, shares it with you, connects you with Jesus in such a way that you come to life with Jesus, in Jesus, while you are still dead. You haven't done one thing to deserve it. You haven't done one thing to earn it. You haven't done one thing to turn his heart towards you. His heart's turned towards you because of him, not because of you. He makes you alive because of his mercy and his love, not because of your work and your effort and your goodness. You don't have any. You're dead in sins. And then this may be like the most practical definition of grace you ever get. You know, what's grace? Unmerited favor, undeserved this. And that's true. But look at the way that Paul says it. He's like, So you're dead. God makes you alive, and it's like he can't contain stuff. Do you understand when you're dead and God makes you alive, that is grace? He's like, by grace you've been saved. Like, Even when we were dead in our transgressions, he made us alive with Christ. By grace you've been saved. This is what grace actually does. It takes dead people and makes them alive. This is how powerful grace is spiritually. It works an utter transformation in who you are. You were dead in trespasses and sins. Now you're alive in Christ. Dead, alive, trespasses and sins, Christ. Like that is grace. That is how extreme it is. How you doing? Well, come do it. He said he's going to come give his life to the Lord. Eric's going to talk to you. Tell us what's going on. I'm going to turn turn my mic off for a second. If you all want to sit and talk or pray for just a minute. Thanks for being patient. This is Chris. Uh, Chris wants to put his faith in Jesus, and he and Eric are going to talk some more here in a few minutes. He was asking about getting baptized. Um, I'm not sure how quick we can fill that thing up today, but we may try. We'll just see, and if not, we'll schedule it for next week. But Chris is also going through chemo right now. And uh, struggling both physically and financially and so we're going to pray for him right now as a church and then he and Eric will go out and talk and I don't know what we'll do next but we'll see so let's pray Father thank you for Chris thank you for your work in his heart and his life this morning I thank you for drawing him to faith in Jesus by the truth of your word And I thank you that as he has heard the gospel, he is believing and responding in faith and for every promise that you give us in Jesus because of that. I pray for Chris right now as he goes through chemo. I ask that you give the doctors wisdom, that you would make it effective, that you would give him strength and health from your hand. And I pray that through all of it, in in good moments and bad, good news, hard times, that he would see you and know you more, that there would be a comfort and a peace that comes from you that allows him to do all things through you as you strengthen him. I thank you that we get to celebrate Chris's baptism, and I pray that we'll see it as your work, that you are creating new life, that you are doing what only you can do, also ask you father to to provide for Chris to meet his needs and to help us do that in the ways that that look like your body and your church and so thank you for this moment right now thank you for having so much better of a plan than we ever have and for interrupting our plans and for letting us see you work it's in Jesus name that we pray amen thank you for coming down. Erica will talk to you for a few minutes and we'll see about the baptistry today. So here's the dilemma for me now. Like, do I keep talking because God's doing something or do I shut up because God's doing something? I don't know. Y'all got any ideas? I'm serious. Like, I don't know. Um, I point out a couple of things and we'll wrap up. Hey Darren. I know we got one song at the end. If I put you on the spot and we do a couple others while we fill that up, is that doable for you or you hate me for that? I mean it could be stuff that everybody knows the worst. I know how you are about the lyrics. Like <laughs> You're always like, Do we have words somewhere? Do we have words somewhere? Justin's going to see what he can do with the baptist. I guess I'll talk for a few more minutes while we see about the baptistry, and because we're in verse 5 right now. So, like, this is the power of grace. That's what we were talking about, right? That, That grace utterly changes you. And it's one of the things sometimes that we miss in our typical religious view of what the gospel is. When we think about people's lives being changed, when we think about people, you know, looking better, acting better, being better church members, living the way they should, we think that it, we still think that it's the rules and the laws and the instruction and the protocols that we give them, and we give everybody enough of a checklist, and they follow that checklist, and that'll change them. And that's not what changes us. Like it's the grace of God coming on the inside. And doing a supernatural spiritual work. And one of the things is to realize how easy it is for us to still believe that the law is actually stronger than grace. Like, See the power of grace right here. How supernaturally powerful it is that you're dead, he makes you alive. You're in trespasses and sins and he puts you in Christ. Like, he reaches down and lifts you out of death and lifts you out of your sin, and he places you in Christ and makes you alive over there. That's how grace changes people. And so grace also, just to challenge us, from the other, isn't like this soft, willy-nilly, anything goes, it's fine, whatever you do, whatever you say, whatever you believe, everything's okay. That's not what grace is. Like Grace is the supernatural power of God to change people. To make us one with Jesus. And then to raise us up. And this, is, this connects back to everything in chapter 1. So I want to try to do it real quickly. Raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Do you notice that these are past tense verbs? Raised, seated. Now for us, this is still a future tense thing, right? Like how many of you are aware of being seated in the heavenly realms with Jesus right now? Put my hand down. Like I'm, I'm not either. But do you remember a few weeks ago when we were talking about this idea that God's a timeless God outside of time, like seeing all eternity past, all eternity future, and the present all at once? That you have to see that this is the reality for, for you before God at this point. That when God looks at you, he sees you perfect in Christ. He sees the whole work complete. Now, I know that we're still living it out in this life and taking these steps, but this is how God sees you. That's what I was saying earlier about why you're perfectly reconciled to God. That He sees the finished work presently. He he sees the past sin. He does. And He sees the work of Jesus on the cross to cover it. And He sees who He's making you in Jesus. And that's His final word about you. He has spoken that about you. And then I want you to see this, like, I hope we've hit here on the depth of this grace. That God, when you were dead, God showed you the type of grace that he made you alive. When you were in trespasses and sins, God showed you the type of grace that he put you in Jesus. Why did he do it? All this grace in your life right now, so that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. This is one of my favorite things that I've ever noticed. I've missed it for years and years and years. God gave you grace now to create a way to have forever to keep giving you grace. (laughs) I mean, do you see that right there? He's like, I'm so full of grace and love and mercy toward my people. This is going to take me forever to give it all to them so I'm going to give them grace now so that in the coming ages I can keep giving them more and more and more grace. Immeasurable. Like you can't put a number number on it. There's no limit to it. You're never going to get to the end of it. Immeasurable riches, wealth and treasures of grace that he's going to pour out on you in Jesus forever. Like you aren't going to sit in heaven and just be bored with, oh, it's the same thing again. We're singing that chorus again. Like it's not going to be like that right? Immeasurable riches of grace. Like you never get, every moment, a new aspect of grace. Every moment, a brand new blessing from him. Like riches, it's like you pull out this diamond of grace, but before you really have time to look at it, you realize, here's a sapphire of grace, and here's a ruby of grace, and here's an emerald of grace. Immeasurable, and just infinite, forever, on and on and on, new and more and more and more. And God's sitting here within himself saying, I want to pour that out on my people. I want to give them all that I have, and there's not enough time for me to do that. (laughs) So we better make it forever. I mean, that is the, 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 the thought behind this verse, that he's done all this for you in Christ so that In the coming ages, he can show you the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. And it's like Paul was like, you know, once wasn't enough right here. By grace you've been saved. So I better just do, for by grace you've been saved through faith. Whatever you think you might have earned from God in this life, you're wrong about that. But whatever you think you might have earned, I don't think that you're so self-deluded that you think that you have earned immeasurable riches of grace forever. And if that's what you're getting from him, there's only one way you're getting it. Because that's who he is. Because of what Jesus has done. Because Jesus has earned that. And so then, just to be, this is not your doing. You didn't do this. I didn't do this. It's the gift of God. He gives this. You've got to change your mindset. You've got to stop being an earner and a worker. You've got to be a receiver. A truster. Right? You can't earn a gift. You can't work. for Whatever you will get when you work for it is your wages. And we've seen the wages that we've earned. Wrath. That's what we've earned. Death. That's what we've earned. You don't want what you've worked for. You don't want what you've earned. But he offers a gift to just give it because of who he is, because you believe who he is and you give yourself up and you die to yourself. And you say, I'm not going to find life in myself. I'll find it in Jesus. I'm not going to find hope in myself. I'll find it in Jesus. I'm not going to find accomplishment in myself. I'll find it in Jesus. Not as a result of my works, so that no one may boast. I didn't get to say this a few weeks ago when we were talking about this depending on God and God choosing us, but it's a really good illustration. I want to use it right now. One of the things that can happen when we tiptoe into the type of doctrines we've talked about with election and predestination and all that sort of stuff, is there's a real intellectual arrogance that can build up as we think we start to understand it a little bit, and we start to think, well, that's me. God chose me. I mean, it's the most foolish thing in the world that can happen, right? When you realize he's done it all because of him and not at all because of you. But it's the exact thing he was trying to guard them against in Deuteronomy, where he's like, yeah, I chose you. Not because of you. <laughs> you weren't the strongest. You were the weakest. You weren't the biggest. You were the smallest. You weren't the most righteous. You were stubborn and hard-hearted and rebellious. And so he's trying to guard them against that, even in the Old Testament. But now with us, there's this place in Israel. Like, well, he chose me. He chose you as a statement about him. He chose you, and it should humble us. And he's saying, and Paul's saying, if you get to the end of this and you realize how God has really done this, it should humble you. But you would never boast about yourself. You'll boast about him over and over and over. And I got to see this with the girls on the trampoline. It's been a while back now. But we started playing this game where we would throw like five or six basketballs, kickballs, that kind of stuff on the trampoline. And then we would all start jumping. And the goal was to not let the balls hit you. So you're having to avoid each other. and, And every time you get hit, that's a point. And we would usually play to 10. Like when somebody got 10, They're out, and we see how much everybody else has. So that's the game. But one day, and sometimes it's just luck, like those balls bounce weird, there's nothing you can do about it. One of the girls had just racked up a lot of points really fast and was getting frustrated. And she said something like, I'm losing, will you give me mercy? And so me and the other girl, and I'm trying to not use names right now, I'm trying to learn my lessons about when you say names from the pulpit. Um, me and the other girl are like, yeah, you can have mercy. You're back at zero. So we keep going while well, she keeps getting hit. And she's like, can I have mercy? Can I have mercy? Can I have mercy? Fine. You're at zero. You're at zero all the time. So we keep playing. She gets hit 443 times, and she's at zero. <laughs> and eventually I'm at two, and the other girl's at four. Well, Miss Zero starts going, ha, 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 I got zero. <laughs> <Uh-oh>. <laughs> There's one reason why you're at zero. <laughs> and that's us. Like, he does all this for us and he does all this. And it's like, ha ha ha, look at me. Look how bad they are. Not like them. You're just like them. You're just like them. Except God has accepted you in Jesus when you believe the gospel. And they need Jesus. Like, don't sit here and laugh. Ha ha ha. Like, you needed mercy and He gave it to you, and they need mercy, and you have it. You have the words of mercy. You have the words of life. So that you will boast in Him, and so that they will boast in Him, so that the two may be made one in Him reconciled to one another people who are far from god right now people who are near to god because of jesus reconciled to one another in jesus so that we can then be reconciled to god all together praising him forever for his immeasurable riches of grace that's the picture for the church and we'll wrap it up right here and i'll just just see where we are i know there's more we could have talked about but we get down here and, and Paul continues to emphasize this relationship with one another, relationship with God. For through him, through Jesus, we both, right, the religious Jews, the irreligious Gentiles, the ones that were irreconcilable, who've been brought together, have access. Same access for them as for us. Same access for everyone. In one spirit to the Father, you can now come to your Father through the Spirit. That's the only way, it's the one way, it's the same for everybody. All right? Right? Through Jesus in one spirit. There is no... So it's extremely exclusive in one sense. There is no other way. Through Jesus in one spirit. The only way you get to the Father. And it's also, while it's very exclusive and very narrow, it's very inclusive because anyone can come to him that way. Like When he says we both, like Jews and non-Jews, do you know how many people in the world don't fit into those two categories? Zero. That's right. You're either a Jew or a (laughs) non-Jew. And they all have access to the Father through Jesus in one spirit. So, here's the result of all that. You're not strangers and aliens anymore, but you're fellow citizens. With the saints, members of God's house, you become a citizen of God's kingdom. You're a member of God's house. And look how this house is built. This is where we're going to end. Built on the foundation of the apostles. We talked about this earlier. Here's the New Testament and the prophets. This house is built on the Bible. This is the word of God right here. That the people of God, the house of God, the family of God is built on the truth of God. This is why we're doing this every week. This is why I'm asking you to do this day in and day out. In your personal life, in small groups. Because this is where God builds his people. On his word. And then there's one more key though. You can read his word and miss this next part. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. He's like, yeah, here's this huge brick over here. And this was the Old Testament, right? The prophets. And here's this huge brick over here. This is the New Testament. The apostles. But don't miss this. There's this piece in the middle that holds the whole thing together that connects the whole thing, the cornerstone that supports all the way, connects like this is the only way it all fits together, and this is Jesus. Like when you read the Old Testament, you should see Jesus. And when you read the New Testament, you should see Jesus. This is how, when we ask, what does this teach us about God? Everything that God shows us about himself, everything that God reveals to us is in Jesus. What's this teach us about God? And if you can't come up with the answer, this is a great tip for it. If you can't come to the answer, ask, how does this connect to Jesus? How does Jesus help me understand this more? How does Jesus help me see this? Because this is the center, the cornerstone, the foundation of everything that God is doing in Jesus with the whole Bible, and he's building his church, his people, his family on that. Because this is how much he chooses you. He's making you, me, us, his temple. We were far off from him, and he has chosen to come and live in us. Not just to be God above you, and not even just to be God beside you, but to be God in you. He couldn't be any closer. He couldn't choose you anymore. He couldn't accept you anymore. As far off as you were, he's done everything in Jesus, immeasurable riches of grace to draw you, to bring you to him. And then when he got you to him, he says, now I'm going to come live in you. You'll be my temple. You'll be my dwelling place. You'll be my people so completely that I will give my spirit to you and I will live in you and work in you. And that was the verse we skipped up here. Your good works, they're not something you do for God. Look at verse 10. We are his workmanship. You're not doing works for him. You are his work. (laughs) He has worked you out. He's made you created in Christ Jesus for good works. Like, he worked in you to do good works. This is what, And so everything I've said today, don't get confused as we wrap up right here. And don't think, well, he's like, it doesn't matter what you do, it doesn't matter how you live, your life doesn't have to be changed, just Jesus did it all, and that's and I can go live however I want. That's not at all what we're saying. But what I'm saying is all the stuff you would do and all that stuff you would point to, if it's not Jesus, it will never get you to God. But when God actually gets you to God, and God comes and lives inside of you, He changes you, and all this stuff that you did that, you couldn't, that couldn't get you to God, He may produce some of that very same sort of stuff in you. Religious-looking stuff, good-looking stuff, obedient-looking stuff, but now it's coming from, it's His work in you so that when it's done, He gets the credit for doing it. Who are we going to boast in when He's the one that's done it? We're going to boast in Him. And what was the danger right there in verse 9? Ha, 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 I'm at zero. Right? If you did stuff, you boast in you, and you've missed the whole point for which you were created. (laughs) He created you to boast in Him, to glorify Him, to worship Him. And this gospel is how He brings it about. That, That all these good things that get produced in you, and there's going to be lots of them because grace is supernaturally powerful. Look, if grace can take you when you're dead and make you alive, what kind of good stuff do you think grace might be able to produce in you? What sort of stuff may start to flow out of you when God's grace is the source of that stuff and not just your meager little pathetic resources? But there's going to be more goodness that he prepared before that he has all eternity to plan out, here's how my people are going to live when I live in them. That's where this thing's headed. That's who the church is supposed to be, united to one another, loving one another, reconciled to God, loving God as God lives in us and produces what only he can. It's a pretty good summary of Ephesians 2. We're just going to stop there because we've got other stuff to find out. How are we? Keith, what's the status? Anybody know we're good to go? All right, we're going to have a baptism then. Woo! Eric, you ready? Yeah. Can Eric hear me? Anybody? 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 Oh, okay, we've got to get an outfit, so we need a few more minutes. All right, Darren, if worship team's coming up, let's do our next song. And uh, So here's the deal. We're going to hang around until this happens, all right? If you need to go get kids or leave, because, by the way, like, I'm done early today. <laughs> write it down, all right? We only had one more song on the order, and it was 1147 when I really quit. So just write it down. But, but if you do need to go for any reason, feel free. Uh, but we're going we're gonna to wait for this baptism. We're going to sing at least a song. I'll pray for us right now. If you need to come talk to somebody, I'll be down here and we may have some other pastors, wives, staff, elders down here as well uh, during the song. But let's pray and then we'll stand and sing and then however this goes, it'll go. I'm excited. Let's, Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time right now. Thank you for the reminder this morning. That even in just little ways with the Sunday morning routine, that that our plan, our schedule, our timetable, our typical way of doing things, that you don't need any of that, you aren't limited by that, that your spirit is bigger than that and your word is more powerful than that. And so we thank you for showing us in your word and in our experience this morning just another glimpse of who you are. And I pray that we will celebrate that together right now as your church and your family and your people. And Father, please keep building us into your dwelling place by the truth of your word, by the work of Jesus and the person of Jesus at the center of it all. We ask you to do it because you are the only one who can. We ask for your supernatural, life-giving, heart-changing grace. We ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen.
1: All right, so this is such an amazing thing. Um, this is Chris. This is Chris Minchie, um, and he has come forward to declare that Jesus Christ is his personal Lord and Savior. And with everything that's been going on in his life right now, he feels that this is the one thing. Yes, I do. This is the one thing that can get him through. So, with that said, we talked. Right? You said that you right now, currently were in pain because of the because of the cancer that you have and the tumor and and everything else and then we just talked and we said you know and i just asked him i said you know do you believe that jesus christ is the son of god yes, I have answer, but right. right but do you believe that jesus christ is the son of god yes. do you believe that he died on the cross for your sins do you believe that just as much just as he's died for your sins and on that third day that he rose and just as you said that God is rich in mercy just as with all the testimony that you just gave me right now I now baptize you Chris it's my brother and the Father Son and the Holy Spirit and we didn't get to go over this so we're going to do it now so I want you to hold your nose plug it, hold your nose and put your hand right here there you go and I'm going to tilt you back we're going to get you wet